Welcome, everybody, to Fantasy Baseball today, Friday, April 17th. And I want to start this show off with a reminder to draft responsibly. What do I mean exactly by that? I'm here with Scott. Chris is nowhere to be found right now. And Scott, what I mean by draft responsibly is we have so much time available that things can easily snowball out of control. And before you know it, you find yourself in 15 leagues for a baseball season that might not even happen. And the reason I bring this up is because that's where I currently find myself. And yeah, I see it all over Twitter. People are still posting draft results from NFBC. It's tough because you want to keep yourself busy, and and a good way to do that is draft. But at the same time, if baseball ever does get up and running here, Scott, we're going to be in so many leagues that we're not even going to know what to do with ourselves and ultimately, we're going to end up stretching ourselves too thin. So, happy Friday, Scott. Remember, please draft responsibly. I'm curious, how many leagues are you used to playing in in an MLB season? So, normally, like six or seven. Wow. Is that a so, lot? So young and so new. <laughs> I, I say it because 15 doesn't sound that egregious to me. I, I usually try to keep it around a dozen. But I've had as many as 15 before. Uh, it's usually in that range, 12 to 15. And yeah, just now that you're now that you're a big CBS guy, everybody's going to want you in their league and you're just going to have to learn to say no. Just going to have to learn to say no. I don't think I've drafted a true team like in a league where I'm going to play out since all this started. Plenty of mock drafts. I mean, mock drafts are a good way to keep you busy. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, mock drafting, that's perfectly fine. I mean, that's an easy way to make the time pass and you can kind of still figure out what's going on with draft trends. And I should point out, I mean, all the leagues that I'm drafting in right now are not necessarily just fantasy baseball leagues. Like, I'm part of this 30-team simulation league draft that we're going to play out on OOTP. I just joined joined a startup dynasty fantasy football draft because I'm not in a dynasty league and I'm like sure why not I want to join a dynasty league so I've got those two going on I took part in a legends draft on Monday I brought that up a few times which we're only using players from the 2000 to 2009 decade so I have those and then I think I already drafted maybe six or seven teams that are going to play out for the season before all of this happened so they're slowly adding up so I just want to remind everyone, please draft responsibly. <laughs> Scott, how do you manage 12 teams? Are these all teams that you actually set waivers for in lineups like every single week? Mm, they're not I I they're not any like uh best ball leagues where you just you just draft and forget it. Uh they're not all traditional fantasy leagues with waiver wires and that sort of thing, but there there is definitely in-season management involved with all of them. And and uh, all but two of them are traditional fantasy leagues. So yes, it, it's a it's a very regimented thing for me. This is why, this is part of the reason why I speak so disparagingly of daily lineup leagues, because I have to, 
uh, I, I just have to be conscientious about how much how much I'm checking each of these leagues so that they don't completely overtake my life. So the the biggest thing I do is uh, I I have a day devoted to putting in waiver claims. It's usually either Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. Of course, I'm in some leagues that just have the weekly waiver run. It's usually Sunday night, like like Tout Wars. Um, so I, I just go through all my leagues and make all my ad drops then, which kind of puts me at a disadvantage compared to people who can just react to the news of the day. And if something big enough happens, like a you know like a prospect call up or something, of course I'll I'll try and make a special exception and go look for that across all of my leagues. But, but yeah, it's, it's just kind of a weekly ritual of mine. I take two or three hours on a Sunday afternoon to do all my waiver claims for the week. And that's, that's probably the biggest thing. And then of course on Monday morning, I have to go through and set all the lineups. If I happen to be playing in a daily lineup league that year, which I try not to, but every now and then I'll get in one, I'll go ahead and set the lineup for the whole week. Cause I know I'm not going to be checking every day to set the lineup. So that's that's how I've managed it. I do not like just giving up on a league, no matter how bad I'm in, just closing the book on it, never checking and setting my lineup anymore. I think that is that is unkind to the rest of the league. And um, it's doing yourself a disservice, too, because it's it's fulfilling to even have any kind of comeback. If you can get like back in the top half of the league, in a season that appeared lost. That's kind of a victory in its own right, I feel like. Plus, your name is on that team. You know, it's there's a sense of pride involved, right? Like, you don't, I mean, look, there are going to be unsur- unforeseen circumstances that take place that, you know, maybe you can't climb out of the cellar, but you've got to at least try. There has to be a sense of pride. So I do agree 100%. Don't be one of those people where if you're out of it, the first month into the season, especially in a roto league, it's very easy to get discouraged in a roto league. When you see yourself at the bottom and you're all of a sudden you're last in ERA, you're last in WHIP. It's hard to make up some of those rate stats. Do not give up, especially early on in the season. Uh, so wanted to point that out. I think that's a really great point, Scott. You brought up daily leagues, and that's going to lead into our conversation for today, where we are recapping our 12-team head-to-head categories draft that we did yesterday, which. I assume would be a daily format, right? Because it's based on the Yahoo roster construction for daily head-to-head categories leagues. So those are typically daily lineups. Um, we're also going to choose our three OOTP, out-of-the-park contest winners. They provided uh, great answers. I chose three of what I thought were the best. And people gave their busts and reason why, uh, and their reasons why. And we'll talk about that here at the top. Uh, but also we'll recap a draft and later on we'll get to your questions. Fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. Winner number one. Are you ready, Scott? OOTP contest winner. Are you ready? Hang on just a second. All right, took a sip of Dr. Pepper. I'm ready now. <laughs> Scott's a big soda drinker, I'm learning here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott, drum roll, please. Yeah, okay. Oh, no, I was supposed to prep the drum roll. That's on me. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> our, our first winner of the OOTP contest, and a reminder, I probably should have told everyone this before the contest started, you do need a Mac or a PC in order to play this game and download it. But the first winner, I hope you have a Mac or a PC, is Logan Stringfield of our Fantasy Baseball Today group. And his biggest bust for him was, this will be interesting because in the draft we're going to talk about, I actually selected Alex Bregman. His biggest bust is 
Alex Bregman. No one is talking about his awful average home run distance. He was 80th out of 81 eligible players in average home run distance. He hits a ton of weekly hit home runs that can easily turn into 370-foot outs. I think the 40 home runs is a dream. Could easily be back in the 20 range. Besides that, I believe he was a huge beneficiary of sign of the sign-stealing scandal and will be the most thrown-at batter in baseball this year. He will have to do. He'll have to deal with the mental side of the game that he has never faced before. Just don't trust the guy, especially not in the first round over other guys that are so much safer. Scott, I've dubbed you the Alex Bregman guy. I hope that's okay. That's what, fine. What, what would Alex you? Bregman. What would you say in response to this call by Logan Stringfield? I think the most suspicious aspect of Bregman's stat line is is the home run total. Uh, I think he's very safe bet for 30, but 40 again, it might be a lot to ask. So that's fair. I, I think people who are completely discounting Alex Bregman are overlooking a lot of things, like the fact he was a former number two overall pick the year he was drafted he destroyed the minors on his way to the majors he walks more than he struck out has the past two years and that was something he consistently did in the minors too like he's he followed a very conventional predictable path to greatness and became great so he seems like as safe of a stud as you can get is it possible he doesn't quite live up to first round production? Sure. I mean, there's, I see probably 20, 25 hitters who could end up performing like first rounders. And then there may be some that I don't even see who do. So it's, it's possible Bregman could get overtaken by some of them this year or any given year. But to me, the floor seems so high that to say he's a bust, uh, that's, I just don't see that. Yeah, look, if it's something about the mental aspect of the game where he's going to continuously get pegged by baseballs this year and that's something that you're worried about, or look, someone actually brought up the fact that the Astros players could be more susceptible to injuries if they're getting hit as much as we expect them to by pitches. So that's another aspect that you can factor in here. But if you're just looking at the production and hit the trajectory of his career thus far, 2017, 827 OPS, 2018, 926 2019, 1,015 OPS. I mean, he's only going in one direction. And the projection systems on Fangraphs, they even have baked in some regression here. They have him between 287 and 289, between 32 and 35 home runs, really good counting stats, uh, between 5 and 10 stolen bases. He's the only player over the past two seasons that has more walks than strikeouts. There's something to be said for that plate discipline. So maybe a better player in points leagues... Not maybe. He's for sure a better player in points leagues. There's no doubt about that. But as I'll get into a little bit later on, he fits what I'm trying to do in a head-to-head categories league. So I understand some people's skepticism, but I probably fall closer to the camp of you, Scott, in terms of defending Alex Bregman. I have concerns over a ton of Astros hitters, most notably Jose Altuve, and I brought that up. It has nothing to do with the cheating scandal. Uh, But I will be skeptical where I think that it's due. And I don't necessarily think that it should be there for someone like Alex Bregman. But shout out to Logan Stringfield. You're our first winner of the OOTP contest. Our second winner, Josh St. Marie. 
Chris Bryant is your classic example of a name carrying way more weight than it should. His average draft position in head-to-head leagues is in the fifth round, and he is currently the seventh third baseman off the board. We are current. We are talking about a guy who was in the bottom fourth of the league last year in both exit velocity and hard hit percentage, according to Baseball Savant. Bryant's hitter profile compares closest to Marcana. Well, maybe that's why Scott likes him because he likes Marcana. He like why I, wouldn't I've, I've made that comparison? Yeah, Marcana. <laughs> why wouldn't he like Chris Bryant once he took over? That's the line I keep using. <laughs> he loves both of those guys. Uh, Paul DeYoung, Carson Kelly, and Jesus Aguilar were other players that he compared close to based on his hitter profile on Baseball Savant. I sure hope no one is taking any of those guys in the first five rounds. ATC, shout out to Ariel Cohen, uh, projects Bryant's stats will almost perfectly mirror his stats from last year when Bryant finished outside the top 10 at third base. Sportsline Computer Simulation has Bryant ranked 11th at third base. What am I missing here, or should no one be drafting Bryant at his ADP? Now, this is an interesting conversation, one that we've been teasing that we would get at here, Scott, because you seem to be more of the Chris Bryant believer than I am. And I will say, in a head-to-head points league, I feel like that is Chris Bryant's best format. It's For me, it's kind of similar to Anthony Rizzo, where in Roto, I just think Rizzo and Bryant are boring players. I don't really know how much upside they offer. And honestly, I think Chris Bryant is a two-category player, maybe two and a half. Like He's not going to hurt you in batting average. He's really good at runs. Hurts you in RBI because he hits at the top of the lineup, and the talk was he was going to be the leadoff hitter. Doesn't really, you know, excel in home runs anymore, and doesn't really steal many bases. So for me, I have Chris Bryant ranked as low as I do in Roto, just because I think he's a boring player, Scott. So how do you respond to this uh, this comment from Josh regarding Chris Bryant? Uh, because I know that he's someone that you like more than I do this season. I definitely like him more than you do. But to clarify, <laughs> I would not say I like. Chris Bryant in this it's kind of nebulous sense. I agree he's boring. And I don't think I have a single share in him this year. Um, but what Chris Bryant also is, is very safe. The emailer here, Josh from St. What, St. Marie? Is that what it is? No, just he makes, Josh St. Marie is his name. Oh, that's his name. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I like last names with an abbreviation in them. Like, if you spelled out the word saint, it would be incorrect. That's just, I don't know, for some reason that blows my mind. But anyway, um, Chris Bryant, yes, he doesn't have great exit velocity readings. He doesn't have great, uh, his expected stats are worse than you'd think they are. But that's been true for the majority of his career. That hasn't really changed. So, I mean, obviously the production has been there in spite of it. He was. 11th in or what was it what did he say was last year fifth sixth seventh eighth ninth tenth yeah 11th in this format at third base last year but it's kind of because third base is what third base was last year chris bryant was the number 50 overall player in uh in five by five leagues last year And listen to this range of third basemen around him. Josh Donaldson was 47th overall. Max Muncie, 48th overall. Bryant, like I said, 50th overall. Yon Moncada, 52nd overall. Like, there's there's basically no margin in between those four. They were all virtually identical. Um, And my sticking point with you specifically is how much higher you rank Josh Donaldson than Chris Bryant, where 
you know, like I said, Donaldson was 47th last year. Bryant was 50th. And then you just look at the raw numbers. Bryant hit 282 with 31 home runs. Donaldson hit 259 with 37 home runs. The combined RBI and run total was similar. Donaldson more balanced there, like you said, because of the spot Bryant bats in the lineup. But like, what's going to go wrong for Bryant? Certainly he could get injured by anybody else. He has had an, a year that was afflicted by injuries. But Donaldson had basically two years lost to injury prior to last year, and he's 34 years old. I, I definitely can see things going a lot more wrong for Donaldson than Bryant. And the likely scenario in the event both stays healthy seems pretty similar. So Bryant seems like a pick you make if you just you want bankable production that's going to be very solid. And you're not looking to take a risk. That's that's the kind of guy you take with Bryant and Donaldson. Um, you know, relative to where they're actually going in drafts, I do prefer Donaldson. But to rank Donaldson ahead out of Bryant outright seems a little weird to me. So you know what I find so interesting is that the comment here tells us that Chris Bryant finished 11th last year in this format. Um, and you have him ranked 6th and I have him ranked 15th. So we basically split the difference, right? So exactly where he finished last year is in the middle of where we have him currently ranked. And I, I will agree, look, it's just so many of these guys in this middle tier of third base. Like I have Donaldson, Suarez, Chapman, Moustakis, Jeff McNeil, who I want more as a second baseman anyway. Uh, and then I have Chris Bryant. So that whole group is like so similar. But to me, I think the lineup context for Josh Donaldson is just that much better than someone like Chris Bryant, just being in the middle of the Twins lineup, which was already one of the best lineups in baseball. The Cubs lineup is not a bad lineup, but I just think what Chris Bryant provi provides is runs, you know, modest home runs, 30 home runs, and I think, you know, if Josh Donaldson could stay healthy, which is an if for him, it's an if for Chris Bryant as well, uh, you're looking at 35-plus home runs, really good RBI numbers. Uh, I think the batting average is probably a little bit better than it was last year. Uh, but I will agree that this whole range, Scott, is just super bunched up. And I just prefer yeah. Chris Bryant last out of all of them because I just don't think that he has more upside than like even Mike Moustakis, for example, who now is, you know, going to be playing in the best lineup, the best ballpark that he's played in. So, so you're making you're making kind of the upside case. And I, I probably did the reverse third yeah. base, especially I mean, probably more than any position I can remember in any year ever has this range of players that how do you sort them out? And right. I, I think I kind of opted toward, okay, the ones with the biggest risk factors, I'm going to push to the bottom because I don't, I don't want to be the guy who thinks he has third base locked up and then he gets, he gets screwed there. Uh, and I feel like Donaldson's more likely to do that than Bryant. And I'll point out, because I can imagine someone right now is, is saying, well, Frank, how do you have Jose Abreu ranked so high? Isn't he kind of similar to Chris Bryant and that he doesn't have a ton of upside? That is fair, but the position scarcity for me is what makes all the difference in the world. Because, look, we're talking about all the third basemen. Third base is the deepest position. First base, I mean, we've consistently talked about this. Once you get past Josh Bell, who is like the top eight first baseman, like Bell, Rizzo, Olsen, once you get past that group, it's really kind of a hodgepodge of... Paul Goldschmidt, who I am not a fan of, and, and we actually have a little injury update on him. Reese Hoskins is fine as a bounce-back candidate, but 
I don't know how much confidence you have. So it's just the position scarcity, and that's why I, I prefer someone like Jose Abreu at his position at first base where you might get similar numbers uh, to someone like Chris Bryant, but I just think there's much more upside at the third base position. So that's why I do rank Chris Bryant as low as I do. Our final winner here of our OOTP contest. And this one is, you know what? I didn't write down the person's name. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I wrote down their answer, and I didn't write down their name. Their answer begins with Adam Azer, so you probably (laughs) thought Adam Azer. So I should probably just give the final code to Adam Azer, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the answer is that was provided here was that Adam Azer is going to be a bust here in 2020. A lot of hype coming up as an analyst, but I'm just not sold. He graduated from Miami in 2006. Most in the industry regarded him as a heralded prospect. Good pedigree, pretty toolsy, but could he put it all together? He spent many years working his way through the CBS pipeline, starting as a coordinator while being a podcast host in low A, CBS College Sports, and then quickly worked his way up to being a podcast and on-camera host in AA, CBS Interactive slash CBS Sports Network, then hosted my favorite podcast and many others for many years in AAA. But my question is, why did he stall so long in hosting? Is there something that I'm missing here? Is he injury prone? Is he a bad clubhouse guy? Not adept with handling the media? Miami was a long time ago. Are we sure he's still the same guy? Is he a guy or a jag? Those questions remain unanswered so far. It's a huge leap for him to take as an analyst, and for the reasons laid out, this is why he's my 2020 bust. P.S. Just kidding. Hope I didn't hurt any feelings. I think Adam's going to do great. I've been a fan of his for years. I just want to win one of these codes and thought this would be a unique choice. Hopefully I make the cut. Well, you know what? You did. Whatever your name is, I'm going to search it up right now. I promise you to let you know while Scott talks. Uh, thanks for making this contest, Frank. All stats and info came from Adam Azer's LinkedIn. So what do you think of that, Scott? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering, how does he know so much about Adam Azer's <laughs> career? This seems like an inside job here. Well, that's the first observation. The other is that I don't know that going from host to analyst is a promotion. Seems like he might be going the wrong way there. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it depends who you ask, right? That's something I thought yeah. about as well. <laughs> so I, I'm just thinking industry-wise, like who gets paid more? And I think unless unless your analyst is like a former player, like a really big name that you have to pay a lot of money to attract, your host is probably getting paid more. Probably, right? Well, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know how much I can speak to it. I just got here. <laughs> I don't here. know about the context of a podcast <laughs> like this, but I just mean when you're watching like a a sports studio show. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know for sure. Don't quote me on that. Uh, the the person who submitted this answer was Garrett MCW, by the way. So sorry, I didn't have that prepped. I thought I did, but I thought it was a really funny answer there with Adam Azer. So our winners here of the OOTP contest, I will be reaching out to you guys a little bit later on today. Logan Stringfield, Josh St. Marie, and Garrett MCW. The bus again, Alex Bregman, Chris Bryant, and Adam Azer. So there you go. A few news and notes. Wanted to touch on this. I referenced it already once. Paul Goldschmidt continues to go to Cardinal Spring Training Complex to undergo preventative care and treatment on his ailing right elbow. Scott, this doesn't sound too good. I mean, during a time when everyone's supposed to be 
resting. We have a delay. It seems like, for the most part, anyone who was hurt was benefiting from this time off. Paul Goldschmidt continues to undergo preventative care and treatment. I'm a little bit worried about Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, I I don't need more reasons to worry about Paul Goldschmidt because I think he was showing some underlying signs of decline last year. He's, of course, on my bust list. But if if there's also reason to worry about his elbow, that's uh that's all the more reason to avoid him. It'll make a difference whether his we see his draft stock actually begin to slide because of this. If it does, it could become a situation where I suddenly like Paul Goldschmidt's value. That that happened uh, last year with Clayton Kershaw. Actually, he he was uh, I was very vocal about him being a bust, and then he hurt his shoulder or something in spring training, right? And suddenly nobody wanted anything to do with it. Right. So I, <laughs> I ended up with a ton of shares of Clayton Kershaw. And that worked out okay. That worked we'll out see. pretty well. Yeah, I'm down on yeah. Paul Goldschmidt. I referenced that a little bit. Uh, two years in a row, the strikeout percentage is up over 24%. The plate discipline slipping a little bit. It's still very solid plate discipline, but 11% walk rate, his lowest since 2012. Uh, the chase rate, the highest of his career. Swinging strike rate. Highest since his rookie season. Uh, the barrel percentage was down. His OPS by month, 753, 745, 583, uh, up over 1,000, yeah. then 705 and 953. So two really good months. The, the, the other four, he was basically a league average hitter or worse. So I worry about yeah. Goldschmidt, the context of that lineup. I, I just, I really don't like the Cardinals' uh, offense this upcoming season. Maybe the, it gets better most- with Dylan Carlson, but... I do have some legitimate concerns there, Scott. Yeah, the most condemning stat for Goldschmidt for me is, and you, and you mentioned a lot of good ones, but batting average against fastballs. Normally about a 300 hitter. He hit like 230 against fastballs last year. Yeah. That seems like the bat, makes it seem like the bat's slowing down. Yeah, that's that's a very obvious sign of decline. And look, Goldschmidt's getting up there. He's, he's over 30 years old. So just keep all these things in mind. Wanted to note Paul Goldschmidt. Yesterday, we did a head-to-head categories draft, 12 teams. And we're going to recap that now. It's based on the Yahoo roster construction, daily lineups, uh, one catcher, first baseman, second base, third base, shortstop, three outfielders, two utility. It's basically the same as a head-to-head points roster, except there is an added utility bat. And for the pitchers, you have two starting pitchers, two relief pitchers, and just four general pitchers. They can be any type of pitchers you want them to be, relief starters, but you do start eight pitchers on a daily basis, you know, relievers, starters. They don't always have to be pitching that day, but uh, you can start up to eight pitchers at a time in this format. Scott, I wanted to ask what your general strategy was in head-to-head category leagues. I don't think this is something that we've gotten into uh, so far, as long as I've been here. I know we've talked a lot about points leagues, a lot about Roto, and head-to-head categories really is kind of a marriage of the two. So, you know, what is your general strategy in this format? Do you like to punt categories? How do you attack pitching, uh, considering you technically only need two starting pitchers? Do you subscribe to the quote-unquote Marmol strategy. This is something that I continue to hear about in the fantasy industry. And and for those who don't know, uh, the Marmol strategy is basically you punt wins and strikeouts. You draft hitters in you know, like your first eight or ten picks, and then you just load up on a bunch of elite relievers for ratios and saves. Uh, it is risky because you wind up punting two categories, but 
you know, what is your general strategy here when, when attacking this format, Scott? I really don't like head-to-head categories leagues. I agree with it you. May, if it's a marriage, it's an imperfect marriage. And I have, I have struggled to come up with a strategy that works for me. I've, I've struggled with this format. I, I don't play it a whole lot. And my main exposure to it is the um, For the People League that Heath set up for this podcast a few years ago. And I think he set it up just to just to irritate me because he made a lot of unconventional rule choices that may that may be influencing my uh my inability to escape mediocrity in that format but yeah it's 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 something i don't feel super confident uh talking about since i haven't had great success in it but i think the marmol strategy makes more sense in this format than any other i've had a hard time committing to it myself so i can't really speak to personal experience there but if you just have to your category losses get buried right i mean if you win a a week you know six to four then the four doesn't matter you just become one and oh so punting in this format does the least damage versus like a roto format where you have to you have to actually you're you're actually going to feel those losses all season long. Um I still don't love the idea of punting. I think it it makes it so you're you're really doing a tightrope walk with the other categories all year and you don't if something goes unexpected, if you have to pivot midseason, it's a lot harder if you've already committed to losing two categories like that. But it can work. I've I've seen people have a lot of success with it. So it's it's something I have to be open to, even if I don't like it in theory. I I, I also don't like it because I don't think it's within the spirit of fantasy baseball. <laughs> like that's not that's not what it's supposed to be. No real life team would ever operate that way, but people have had success with it. Yeah. So I actively punt steals in this format. I avoid it at all costs. I don't want to get involved in it. I think there's a lot of volatility on a week to week basis with a lot of stats, but I think even more so for stolen bases. I just think that they're so hard to predict when they're going to come. So I, I just actively stay away from them in this format. And I do like to, kind of target those sluggers. I like to marry, uh, you know, home run hitters with batting average because, look, every time someone hits a home run, you're contributing in four categories. You're getting a hit. That helps your batting average. You're getting a run. You're getting an RBI. You're getting a home run. So if you just try and load up on as many home run hitters while being cognizant of your batting average because if you take too many of the Chris Davis, you know, Fran Mil Reyes types, uh, Kyle Schwarber, then you're going to wind up with a low batting average as well. So you have to pay attention to that. Uh, when it comes to pitching, I usually wind up with six or seven starting pitchers and at least five relievers, three of which are closers. And this is almost like a quasi marmal strategy where it allows me to, I always have two starting pitchers I'll draft in like the first four or five rounds. Those will be my pitchers that uh, my starting pitchers I always leave in. They'll help me out with strikeouts. They'll help me out with 
trying to p- compete in wins categories. Um, and then with the rest of re- the relievers, I have five relievers that I always leave in my lineup, three of which are closers, so they help with saves. The other two, uh, hopefully, are you know just really good in terms of ratios. They give you strikeouts, so they help kind of normalize that throughout the week. And then the other starting pitchers I have, I just kind of stream those guys based on matchup. So that's kind of how, and I've had some success. I don't play in a lot of head-to-head categories leagues, but I used this in a league last year. It worked out. I won the league, um, and I did it in a couple other years before that. So it's it's worked out pretty well for me uh, thus far. So it's something that I, I have subscribed. I just completely punt steals in this format. Scott, pretty standard first round here. Uh, you had the second overall pick. Mike Trout uh, went first overall. Then you took Ronald Acuna. We saw Yelich, Bellinger, Garrett Cole. Mookie Betts, the first six picks. Uh, Chris took Trey Turner with the seventh overall pick. I don't think anyone really has a huge problem with that. Uh, and then DeGrom, Lindor, Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, Alex Bregman to round out the first round. I mentioned earlier in the show that I took Bregman. I took Walker Bueller. Um, and I will defend that I do have Jose Ramirez in Roto ranked higher than Bregman. But in this format, again, I think Bregman will have a higher batting average. Uh, the home runs might be similar, probably a slight edge to Bregman. I think the counting stats, the runs and RBIs are in Bregman's favor as well. So if that's the case, I'm just staying away from steals. Uh, I wound up taking Alex Bregman and pairing him with Walker Bueller. Maybe a little bit early for Bueller here, Scott, but I, I did want an ace starting pitcher and I knew that he wasn't going to make it back. So I took, I wound up taking, there's nothing crazy here that happened in the first round, right? No. I'm fascinated here by your approach punting steals because that's something, you know, normally writing from like a roto context, I've never encouraged. But uh, obviously, we're talking about other differences here between this format and roto more than more than meets the eye. And um, punting steals, I like that idea more than the marmol strategy because you're talking one category versus two, and you're talking one category that. R- oftentimes detracts from the others. So out of curiosity, because the first five hitters that go in fantasy typically are ones people expect to contribute in stolen bases. Uh, The one that's the most bankable for them, the one whose value is elevated the most by them is Ronald Acuna. Where would you take Ronald Acuna in this format? So this is a very fair question. And I, you know what? I probably would adjust my strategy or maybe I would just pull up like a Garrett Cole or Jacob DeGrom, but it's just so hard to justify taking one of those pitchers over the top three picks. So if I did have a top three pick in this, I would still take one of the top hitters and probably definitely would not lean into my punt steals as much as I normally would. But if if you do that, if you punt steals while taking someone like Acuna or Yelich, you are eliminating one of their best assets in this format. So Right. I do well, that's what I mean. Like yeah. Trout, Trout and Yelich. I feel like if you ignore their steals, they're still probably just if if you're just weighing hitting categories, leaving right. steals out of it. Trout and Yelich are probably one and two still. Yes. So that's different. But Acuna, yeah, you could put if you were, if you were leaving out steals, there would be several hitters that go ahead of Acuna, right? Yeah, and it it would be tough. It would be tough to pass up on him. But I, I would probably look at a Garrett Cole or Jacob DeGrom at that point. And look, I just find it, it's just so much easier to target hitters when you're not worried about steals, when you're not, you know, trying to 
you know, almost find those specialists that are going to help you in steals, but kind of hurt you in other places. Um, but definitely a fair question. You mentioned, look, Mike Trout and Christian Yelich, what they're going to do in those other four categories is going to be better than most likely what Ronald Acuna is going to do. I know he scored a ton of runs last year, but it's, it would be tough to, to pass up on a, on a Ronald Acuna at that point. So just pray that you don't get a top three pick if you want to punch steals or, you know, <laughs> maybe you're kind of committed to chasing steals to a degree, right? You like, you probably yeah. have to get at least one other really good steal source. Trade your so draft slot. Wasting. What's that? Trade your draft slot with somebody. Just, hey, I'll give yeah. you my third pick for, I don't know, yeah. seventh, something, <laughs> something like that. Uh, but definitely a fair question here. Scott, you wound up with Acuna, J.D. Martinez, and Clevenger as your first three picks. Your pitching, I noticed, on this team it doesn't look like a normal Scott White pitching staff. I can't criticize the pick of J.D. Martinez in the second round, but do you almost regret not attacking starting pitching a little bit more early on in this draft? Yeah, that was the most pivotal pick in my draft, J.D. Martinez with the 11th pick of round two. And part of it was the last few mock drafts I've done because I've taken so much heat for my my uh how heavily i invest in starting pitchers i've I've tried to pull back on that little uh, that a little bit and just see how it goes um and i keep not liking how it goes <laughs> i keep thinking i it keeps validating uh that going aggressively after starting pitching like i have been is is the right way to go this format specifically because it's the best for the marmol strategy and meaning that it's it's the one where you can most make do without high-end starting pitchers. I thought we would see more people do that. I was hopeful that uh, the high-end starting pitchers would slide a little bit, but that did not end up happening at all. It wasn't clear what was going to happen when I made that J.D. Martinez pick. At that point, the only starting pitchers who had gone were DeGrom, Cole, Bueller, uh, and then Justin Verlander went directly before that J.D. Martinez pick. Late in round two. That's as late as you ever see Justin Verlander go, I feel like. So I was thinking, all right, I'm going to have a chance to get a lot of pitchers here later. Let's go ahead and take a hit here where I don't normally. But then uh, then I think it was 18 of the next 31 picks were starting pitchers. <laughs> so I, I did get Clevenger early in round three, but then I my... My number two starting pitcher ended up being Sonny Gray out of reach just because everybody was reaching for starting pitchers at that point. So, yes, I if I if I could make one change from this draft, I would pass up J.D. Martinez there for like uh, probably Shane Bieber is who I would have taken. But Jack Flaherty was there, too. Either one of those. And you would have taken Verlander if he made it to you at pick 23 there, right? Right. Yeah, I was all queued up to take Verlander and then he went directly before me so I pivoted to J.D. Martinez thinking I'd take whichever of Flaherty and Bieber made it back to me Flaherty and Bieber were both of the picks there made at the turn so I had to settle for Clevenger and then everything fell apart at starting pitcher from there which I think is a fine consolation prize right like we we've talked about Clevenger a few times over the past couple of weeks like to me I just kind of slotted him right back in that you know top seven starting pitcher discussion Maybe you feel a little bit more safe with one of those other guys, but I, I still think you know Clevenger on a per start basis is going to be you know one of the ten, maybe five best starting pitchers in baseball. So I think it's I think that's a fine consolation prize. Uh, nothing else really stands out as you know egregious in the third round. Um, 
at the three four turn, I had pick twelve in this draft. I took Glaber Torres and Charlie Morton. So again, Glaber Torres, you know, maybe five seven steals. I you know I don't I'm not banking on him for stolen bases. Uh, but at the second base position, someone who I think can give me thirty to thirty five home runs, really good counting stats in the Yankees lineup. Maybe hit two seventy, so he doesn't hurt the batting average. Uh, and then Charlie Morton, someone. I'm very high on this year, top 12 starting pitcher. Uh, typically in this format, I mentioned I want two ace starting pitchers, so I go two hitters, two starting pitchers here uh, at the top of this draft. Jordan Alvarez, I was kind of surprised, and he's slipping a little bit in drafts here, Scott, but you got him at the end of the fourth round at pick 47. Um, are you still surprised that he's slipping this far? I mean, given the delay that we're going to have on the season? Yeah. I think he's been undervalued in general, but then when there was some talk about him having knee issues this spring and maybe not being ready for the start of the season, I, I started to get a little worried too, and I think we saw him slide a bit. But that should be out the window now with all the other injury concerns, I would think. And uh, to me, he's a second-round bat. I mean, he was... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the head-to-head stat, just head-to-head point stat, just because it's easier. He was 10th he was in head-to-head points per game last year as a 22-year-old seeing the majors for the first time. And he was like 95th to 98th percentile in all the StatCast data. So he's he's an incredible hitter. And um, yeah, anytime I can get him in round four, it feels like a coup. You know, Scott, especially in a league like this where you have two utility bats, I feel like his value is almost raised, right? Because yeah. normally we have when we have one utility, you're like, oh, I don't want to lock up my utility bat this early. You know, what if someone falls later on in the draft at a at a position I already have that shouldn't be there? Then I I can't draft that player. You have two utility bats in this league. I mean, I feel like that almost raises the value of someone like Alvarez, Nelson Cruz, maybe even a Shohei Otani, and in a daily lineup especially for Shohei Otani. So, uh, yeah, I feel like the utility guys, the util only guys, actually see a boost in this format where they have two utility positions. And I feel like maybe people didn't realize that once this draft started and, and he lasted all the way to the end of the fourth round. Maybe. And this is the change we've made this year with our, our head-to-head categories mock where we've actually structured it like, since this is kind of Yahoo's base format, we've actually structured the lineup like a, a Yahoo league, which means a second DH. And that's that's something I've been getting used to too. But yeah, normally my my one hesitation when drafting Jordan Alvarez is this means I'm not going to be able to get Nelson Cruz. I'm going to have to pass up Nelson Cruz no matter how late he goes, and he has a tendency to fall sometimes. I can't get him because I have Jordan Alvarez already, but obviously not when there's a second DH spot. Now, it didn't work out in this league because Nelson Cruz went in round five before my next pick even... Well, not before my next pick came up, but he went the very next round, so I didn't get him. But and he, he was never going to make it to you, Scott. Because yeah. I was, I had him queued up. I had him ready to go uh, at the five six turn, which is where I took Manny Machado. Surprise, surprise! I feel like Scott, you could have predicted all of my picks in this draft. I'm just, I'm so predictable already at this point. Yeah, I did take Eloy Jimenez, and and he's a player that I keep finding myself drafting more in the recent mock drafts that we've done. And I took him with the first pick of the sixth round, which might seem a little bit early for some. But I do want to remind people that the final 52 games for Eloy Jimenez last year, 308 batting average, 14 home runs, 40 RBI, and a 917 OPS. He raised his hard contact to about 42%. He lowered the ground ball rate around six percentage points 
uh, over that final 52 games, started hitting more line drives. I will point out, he needs to continue raising the launch angle. I want to see Eloy Jimenez hit more fly balls. But Scott, in terms of pedigree, what he did in the minors, what we were expecting him to do last year, it feels like, even with the first pick of the sixth round, that you're kind of getting Eloy Jimenez at a bit of a discount. It doesn't to me. Okay. I feel like he's one of the more overrated players. And I'm trying to find the, because I know I wrote about him recently. This always happens. I wrote about a guy recently, but then I don't remember where, so I can't reference the stat real quick. But I want to say, like you you talked about him in the last 50 games last year, Jimenez. That's kind of an arbitrary cutoff though, right? It was really... It was the final two months of the season. It was August 1st on, and I know he had dealt with some injuries early on. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty arbitrary. It's to find it's just he, the final two months. Well, he got he got hot even later than that is what I'm saying. Like it was a it was a six week stretch. Yeah, 39 games is really where it started, where he just took off. And that's I, I think I think the final season line where it ended up because of that incredible hot stretch, 267 with 31 home runs, 828 OPS. I mean, that's that's solid. It, but it made him only like the number 40 outfielder in this format last year. Uh, is that right? Sorry, I'm kind of checking. Yeah, he was actually behind Brian Reynolds and Cole Calhoun in this format last year. So, like, he has to get better. He has to sustain that late-season hot stretch or something close to it to justify where he's going now, which is well above how he actually performed. He has the pedigree for it, but when you're talking about an early-round pick, which is what round six still is, it's still the early rounds, I, I, I'd i rather take a guy like that at a discount, a guy who I'm, I'm making the upside play for than... than uh, paying for what may well be his best case scenario. I still think the, and it's very easy to say, the best is yet to come for Eloy at, you know, 23 years yeah. old. Oh, it is. It yeah. is. But will it be right now? That's a fair I, question. Uh, the projection systems have him for, you know, around 280, 35 home runs and, you know, close to 100 RBI, right around 80 runs scored. So, you know, the comp that I kind of expected him to play out and be maybe in his prime was... Nelson Cruz. So imagine, like, if Nelson Cruz was younger and had outfield eligibility, where would he go? Now we're, you know, what? we're hoping that Eloy Jimenez turns into Nelson Cruz. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not a sure thing by any means. But uh, you know, you know what I'm saying, Scott? Like, if Nelson Cruz was 25 years old and had outfield eligibility, he'd probably be like a third round pick, right? Right. But why are you already projecting Nelson Cruz production from Eloy Jimenez when? For three quarters of last season, he didn't come anywhere close to that. Yeah, it's just projecting him to get better, to take the next step, and and the the pedigree that he has. So, look, if you don't expect that to happen this season, I you're it's definitely fair to be skeptical. There's no doubt about that. I guess it, it was it was Cruz's OPS last year was more than it was 203 points higher than Jimenez <laughs> for the full season. So that right. they're not. Eloy's never going to be. If you just take that those last six weeks. Okay. Yeah. But simply applying that to a full season the next year, I mean, he basically went where Nelson Cruz already goes. And that's, no, I can't. It's certainly possible it could work out. Jimenez has that kind of upside. But 
I, I think it's too big of a leap to assume it and pay for it in that way. Scott, speaking of sluggers, Franville Reyes lasted until pick 147 in the 13th round. Is there, is there any specific reason for that? Is, am I missing something? Because it just seemed like great value at that point. And I kept wanting to take him, and it fits the strategy of my team. It's just the rounds that I passed up on him were ones where I was taking relief pitchers, and I felt like I needed those to kind of fill out the strategy. So I passed there on, on Fran Mil Reyes. But round 13 just seems like great value. I don't know why he fell so far in this draft. I, it's it's higher than I have him ranked, but I, I think it's fine. I think, you know, I definitely like that value more than Jimenez's. I took Kyle Tucker a pick before, and I know I have a few outfielders ranked between Tucker and Reyes, so I wasn't really looking to take Reyes yet. But if I was specifically looking to catch up in home runs, maybe I would have been. I mean, Reyes, in this range, he's probably the most bankable source for a big home run total. So I, I'm fine with it. It didn't strike me as huge value. If it strikes you as huge value, it may just have to do with it being a three outfielder league. And uh, I'm sure you, like me, you you tend to draft in roto leagues more. Yes. And those tend to be five outfielder leagues. So kind of moves everybody, every outfield up, except maybe the, the most high end ones. Scott, you have Frankie Montas as your 27th ranked pitcher in roto. Uh, you have Zach Gallon at 32. You have Max Fried at, at 37. They're not really that far apart. And I actually have them back to back to back in my rankings, all inside my top 30. I'm very bullish on Max Fried. Expect him to take that next step. A lot of people excited about the potential breakout. Frankie Montas goes pick 95 in round eight. Zach Gallon goes pick 97 with the first pick of round nine. I got Max Fried at pick 132, which was the last pick of round 11. And I was contemplating taking him at the 9-10 turn. Is that not the best feeling in fantasy? When you're debating taking a player in one round and they make it all the way back to you in the next round? Yes, I had that happen with Corey Seager in this draft. So I, I, I feel you. you. You often hope for that to happen and it rarely does. But it's great when it feels that way. I, I loved this turn for you, Max Freed, followed by Mitch Garver with the first pick of round 12. That uh, I even said something in the chat room of the draft because those were both guys that I was targeting at that point, and you took them both. This was this was the stage of the draft where you just started taking everybody I was thinking about. <laughs> I feel like we're doing too many um, shows together, Scott. Yeah. Now I do. You know, you pointed out Freed is ranked similarly to Frankie Montas for me. Uh, just looking at the raw rankings, but there is a tier divide there in that the 30 the 35 starting pitchers i keep referring to montas is on the in that group and and freed is not but freed is in that very small next group that i think have the potential to join those high-end guys so if i if i miss out on the four of the 35 that i want freed is is like a fallback option for me and he's on my breakouts list i i like him i just think he's not he's not as bankable as those 35 yet all right, Scott, overall, you know, how did your team turn out? You mentioned earlier that, you know, you tried something a little bit different and you didn't really like the way the pitching turned out when you took Sonny Gray in the fifth. You took Mike Clevenger at the beginning of the third round. You know, how did your team turn out overall? And, you know, who was one of your favorite late round picks that you actually wound up making on this team? 
My offense seems very strong, particularly power-wise. I, you know, having JD Martinez, that second high-end hitter that I usually don't have, it you notice a difference when you're building your team. So I got Acuna in the first round, Martinez in the second. My next hitter was Jordan Alvarez in the fourth. I mean, that's those are three big bats to start out the draft. And then I got Miguel Sano, Max Muncy providing power. I um, continued to bolster my speed with Whit Merrifield and Kyle Tucker contributing to that along with Acuna. So I feel I feel really good about my offense, my pitching. I technically did get four of my top 35. I got Clevenger and Sonny Gray. I got Frankie Montas. I got Lance Lynn. But three of those four definitely aren't the kind. There's definitely a lower confidence level there for Gray, Montas, and Lynn. Um, Usually I have Sonny Gray as more like a number three than a number two. I also got Matthew Boyd as my fifth, which is a better number five than I usually get. And that was kind of because I was feeling self-conscious about my pitching. Great pick, Scott. Great pick. <laughs> it may turn out okay, but for in for wanting to have high end pitchers, I don't I don't feel like that group is going to be especially trustworthy in ERA. And if you're making a big investment in in pitching, you should probably be tr- winning ERA most every week, right? And then is is my closer are, are my closers good enough to make up? Any shortcomings there? No, they're not. Sean Doolittle's my number one. Keone Kella, number two. I got Hunter Harvey as a third one, just in case he gets the Orioles' closer role. But, um, yeah, those guys are, are... They'll give me a chance in saves, but that's not going to be a strength for my team. So, overall, I'm not sure the pitching is enough. I don't... I don't feel I don't feel especially confident about this team going in. There's certainly a scenario where it goes very right if all those pitchers just particularly guys like Lance Lynn, that Frankie Montas, they just pick up where they left off and they're that dominant again. Uh, but if they're not, pitching's going to be a struggle for me. And I'm really counting on my offense to carry me. But that's why this is a good time to do mock drafts, right? I mean, you wanted to try something different and see how it worked out overall and Look, all we have is time right now. So if you want to try out a new strategy during a mock draft, uh, now is the time to do so. So I think if there's, you know, ever a time, now is that time to try out new strategies in your mock drafts, especially maybe, you know, in leagues that you're not as comfortable in, in one like this, head-to-head categories. Uh, Your preferred format is head-to-head points, right, Scott? But you play in a lot of Roto leagues still. Yeah, my preferred head-to-head points, Roto, um, you know, Roto's Roto's fun. I I like Roto. Uh, yeah, trying to combine the two though, it uh, it's just difficult because so many Roto stats are ratio based, and ratios can get skewed very easily in the span of one week's time. It feels like who wins in those three ratio categories: batting average, ERA, and WHIP. Just seems very random from week to week. And hard to, hard to like assemble a team for, you know? And that doesn't happen so much when you're dealing with totals in a points league. And obviously there are more totals being rewarded. 
Um, so I think I think the ratio heavy formats work better in, in a roto context where you have a full season for things to normalize than when you're banking wins and losses along the way. That's that's kind of my feeling on it. Maybe it's a rationalization. But uh, but yeah, I've, I've had a, I've had a hard time with this format. I just had a little light bulb go off in my head. The other day we did a kind of general trade discussion. I feel like we should do a general roto discussion in terms of how do you attack the rate stats? What do you do if you fall behind? Because those are questions I just have myself. Like someone else posted this question on Twitter recently asking, you know, where do you struggle most in roto? And more often than not for me, it's ERA and whip for whatever reason. Even if I try to attack pitching early, it just, it always seems like it gets out of hand for me. So it's just random light bulb that popped off here. And we're going to have a, more of these general discussions uh, over the next couple of weeks as we wait to find out what's going on uh, with baseball. But, you know, the trade one was fun the other day. So if you have, you know, a discussion that you want to hear, make sure to send those in. Uh, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Scott, let's hit a few questions here. This one's from Nick. Dear Jay, Norm, Edgar, and Ken. That sounds like mid-90s Mariners. Sure does. Edgar Martinez, Ken Griffey Jr., Jay Buner, and Norm Charlton. Yeah, the closer. This was going to be my first year since adding keeper contracts to my league. Depending how you acquired them or how late you drafted them, you can keep them longer. We did our draft in early March because it was the only time that worked for everyone. I have Glaber Torres, Jose Berrios for one year, Eloy Jimenez for two, Fernando Tatis, P. Alonso for three years, and then Chris Paddock for four. So first question, Scott, what do you think of those keepers there? Glaber Torres, Jose Barrios, Eloy Jimenez, Tatis, Pete Alonso, and Chris Paddock. Don't believe he mentions the league format, but those are the keepers. I mean, they're good players, good young players. (laughs) Uh, The ones I have the most confidence in are probably Paddock and Alonzo. I mean, I have a lot of confidence in Torres too, but I'm I'm glad Paddock and Alonzo are two of the ones that you have for the longest, four and three years respectively. Well, it's funny you bring up Glaber Torres and the fact that he's only kept for one year because the next question is, with the season potentially being canceled, how would you go about having the this affect contracts? Do do we keep the same exact drafted teams next year as this year? Do we pretend like we played out this year? Everyone loses one year from their contract. Uh, I would no longer get Tor- uh, Torres Barrios because their one year is up. So if they follow suit with how the MLB is playing out, it kind of seems like they should lose a year. Do you agree, Scott? Well, that is how it's going to play out in real life. But see, the thing about real life is there are people's livelihoods you have to consider on the other end. These are just <laughs> fictional players. They're coding. So they, they don't have any, you, you don't have to look out for them in that way. I, I think if the season is lost, we just pretend like 2020 didn't even happen because it, 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 it didn't. It's not like any player values would change. Nothing would really change. We, we, everybody'd be a year older, but it's, it's, Everything would just the start of 2021 would be the start exactly like the start of 2020 would have been. And I see no reason why you would progress everyone's contract a year. Definitely That's, fair. That, yeah, definitely fair. It's <laughs> we this our livelihood does not change unless, of course, you know, 
you're playing fantasy for with your house on the line, which we do not encourage. You should not be doing that while playing fantasy. Uh, this next question comes from Lonely Lucas in lockdown. Appreciate the alliteration there. Dear, always right, kind of right, and as right as a box of hair. What? <laughs> who is who? I don't <laughs> We're left to wonder. <laughs> We're left to wonder. Uh, one of my favorite programming series that you guys do is your position previews, normally in February and March. Uh, let me encourage you do them again as we wait for baseball to start back up. I'm sure circumstances and injuries have changed many of those projections, and we did not have Frank on the show then to give us his thoughts. So this is something that we're actually talking about doing, so happy you sent that in. We have acknowledged it, and it's something where currently discussing about you know whether it makes sense to do it now should we wait until the season is announced is actually happening but it is something that is definitely in consideration right now uh and the second question is i play in a 10 team daily head-to-head points league and i i think this question is actually one that you can use in a head-to-head categories league as well speaking on the draft that we did today uh that we recapped today we are allowed 12 starts per week but with the ability to make lineup changes daily a key advantage is finding relief pitchers you get five points for saves, or even holds, guys. You get three points for a hold. With starting pitcher eligibility to play as a start as an SP, since no one usually has all their SP starting on the same day. Basically, a reverse SPARP here. So, who are some relief uh, slash hold guys who will begin the season with SP eligibility, or who you expect will have it not far into the season. So basically a reverse SPARP here, Scott. Maybe someone who is a relief pitcher but has SP eligibility. A few that come to mind, and I'll look it up right now, are the guys that started games for the Rays last year as openers, someone like a Diego Castillo. Do they have starting pitcher eligibility in CBS? He does. Okay, so that's one. That's one. (laughs) That's the only one that comes to mind for... I think Sean Anderson is in the Giants' closer mix, though. Right. Uh, it, the consensus seem to, seems to be that Tony Watson is the favor for saves there. Well, Sean Anderson is starting pitcher eligible, but um, I am struggling to think of any others. Uh, Who else would yeah. have? Did, did Jose Alvarado start any games? But he isn't. I can uh, look that up real quick. I don't think he is starting pitcher eligible. If he did happen to start any, he started one. Yeah, not enough to get eligibility there. Um, maybe Sergio Romo, potentially. No, yes. yes. That, no. 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 In twenty heading into last year, he had starting el- pitcher eligibility, but not anymore. How about like Ryan Stanek? With the Miami Marlins. Oh, yeah, he probably does. Is he Ryan Stanek? somebody nope. you should care about in any way? <laughs> he just has... Uh, no, it doesn't look like he yeah. is starting. Does he? No, he does. Oh, he does? Yeah, he made 27 starts last year, technically. <laughs> so Ryan Stanek, I don't, I don't know how much that helps you, but you know, maybe he grabs a few holds. He's probably going to be part of like the 7th, 8th inning, I'd imagine, for the Miami Marlins as part of the setup crew for... The, for Brandon Kinsler, and then you know maybe even if they trade Kinsler at some point, Ryan Stanek kind of works his way into I don't know maybe some saves. But the ones that stand out, maybe. Diego Castillo, Sean Anderson, uh, and then Ryan Stanek are ones. But you know, if we come up with any others, we'll uh, be sure to to bring those to you. So here we go. We don't have an acronym for our name yet, or, or like a combined team name, Scott. 
Scott and Frank. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Fraught. Doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, we'll Fraught? think of something. <laughs> Fraught. <laughs> yeah. Sank. Sank. These are not these are not like words that you associate with greatness. No, they and sank. They certainly are not. Uh, team scam, much better between you and Adam. Uh, and then team crank. We're actually going to have a team team scam versus team crank. We're going to have a draft on Tuesday next week. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But that'll do it for today's show. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening to Fantasy Baseball today. For Scott, I am Frank. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Bye bye. 